you know, for a while I, I got really interested in uh, dueling pistols. They were cool. The National Museum, it doesn't have them on display, but you can see them online, has Andrew Jackson's dueling pistols. They're beautiful. Made out of curly maple. And, you know, they were works of art. You carried them around in a box. And you set them on your desk in your law office so you could get ready to meet with your opponents on the field of honor. So I got a pair of them, studied up on the code, and commenced to shooting at people. I'm just kidding, of course. You know, one of the problems is it's not always shooting at each other. The challenge gets to pick the weapons. In America, of course, it was usually pistols because we've got so many of them. In Europe, they usually fought with swords or, you know, rapiers or whatever because, uh, you know, as now, they don't have as many pistols. Uh, there's a Twain character, Pembroke Howard from Puddinghead Wilson. It says, he was a fine, brave, majestic creature, a gentleman according to the nicest requirements of the Virginia rule, a devoted Presbyterian, an authority on the code, and a man always courteously ready to stand up before you in the field if any act or word of his had seemed doubtful or suspicious to you and explain it with any weapon you might prefer from Braddalls to artillery. So the choice of weapons is not going to detour Pembroke Howard from meeting on the field of honor in accordance with the code. It's a character in Absalom, Absalom, the Faulkner novel. He wants to challenge his estranged brother to a duel, but the brother is a redneck, not a refined gentleman like him. And he says, I would challenge him to a duel, but I decline to fight with axes. The code, by the way, is the code duello. It's the rules governing duels. And it was a document that, uh, it was part of your training as a Southern gentleman in the 19th century to study up on and to understand it. And it's a fascinating document because the slights that are intended to be, um, you know, corrected through dueling seem pretty minor. So it seemed like really uh, at a certain level in a certain culture, uh, a duel was to take place really at the drop of the hat. Any social slight, no matter how small, uh, was best corrected by a duel, it seemed. Dueling actually figures prominently in a lot of pieces of American literature, um, Southern literature, obviously. And it has been a significant mover and marker of social status in American life. Uh, believe it or not. One of my students followed me way down this road. Unfortunately, we lost him a couple of years ago at the MLA convention when he was outdrawn by a Henry James scholar who couldn't take a joke. I'm just kidding. He's published some of that work, and I'm, and I'm proud of him. He wrote um, for me, when he was with me, he wrote on uh, Mark Twain's Puddinghead Wilson that I read from a minute ago. Uh, there are more recent novels about it, too. I mean, there's a Tom McGuane's first novel, The Sporting Club, it's a zany, crazy, late 60s novel. Kind of, if you know Tom McGuane's work, it's kind of typical in a way. But these guys get drunk in the basement of their sporting club and get together and shoot each other with low-power pistols. You know, you read the novel, you're like, what, they shoot each other with pistols and they're just all right? You know, but that, uh, as it turns out, is kind of typical. Dueling with these old flintlock pistols and 
in the American South, uh, you know, hand-loaded, had a big ball, but had a low pressure and fired a fairly slow projectile, and dueling was, was though it is hard to believe, something that both combatants uh, usually walked away from. And I would say maybe designed to be a non-lethal affair um, when it followed, quote-unquote, followed the code. But therein lies the rub, I guess, as they say. Um, pretty much all of the famous duels you can point to, um, there was at least the accusation that people didn't follow the code. And there was often a spree of duels downstream from the first duel um, as a result of disagreements over what happened, who won, and whether, uh, you know, combatant A, um, you know, uh, engendered further offense from the way combatant B conducted himself. I guess probably, maybe, America's most famous duelist was uh, Andrew Jackson. I say maybe because undoubtedly America's most famous duel was the Aaron Burr-Alexander Hamilton duel. And it was probably for a long time America's most famous duel, but it's become re-famous, more famouser uh, because of, uh, of the success of Hamilton, the hit musical, wherein Aaron Burr shoots Alexander Hamilton graveyard dead in New Jersey at the Weehawken dueling grounds where Hamilton's young son, Philip, was killed in a duel by a lawyer named George Eckert a few years before. And that had to do somewhat with um, Burr, too. Ecker was one of, uh, one of uh, Burr's acolytes at Tammany Hall. And uh, so it seemed inevitable at some level that Hamilton and, uh, and Burr would duel even while Burr was the sitting uh, vice president of the United States. Uh, he was uh, charged with murder, but the charges were ultimately dropped. The duel halted his political aspirations and ended his career, too, and not because he fought in a duel, but because he was uh, accused, suspected, uh, of not following the code. The pistols were Wagon and Barton pistols from the famous uh, English arms maker. I guess they belonged to Hamilton's brother-in-law, and they'd been used in other duels. Hamilton had been the second in other duels, but I, he was never the, the primary combatant in the duel. The pistols uh, are owned by J.P. Morgan Chase, or whatever they're called now. My sister used to work for them. I, 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 she had a story about them. I don't know. Maybe she's seen them. She'll tell me. I better ask her appropriately, though. I don't want her to challenge me to a duel. I think she might be of the disposition to aim to kill. I'm just kidding, of course, but uh, as I said, uh, it seems to have been against the code to intend to kill your opponent, even though you're standing there with pistols shooting at each other. So it's uh, kind of strange. So anyway, Burr was widely believed to have killed Hamilton on purpose. He didn't follow the code. 
You think all repo men follow the code? Have to be of my generation to get that, I guess. Which again, uh, was considered bad form. The rules were complicated. Hamilton missed Burr, um, and you're not allowed to miss on purpose. Part of the code duella says there can be no dumb firing or shooting into the air. Um, and yet Hamilton may have missed Burr on purpose, and then uh, Burr seemed to take lethal aim and hit Hamilton. He he told people later that had that had a, the mist not been in the air, had he had clearer vision, he would have shot him in the heart, and killed him more suddenly apparently, and that was considered again to be you know very bad form. You know, on the other hand, he killed Alexander Hamilton. I mean, had it been somebody else, he probably could have survived that socially. Jackson had a similar situation in one of his famous duels. He killed a guy named Charles Dickinson over the outcome of a horse race. Horse racing and dueling seemed to be pretty linked together. You know, the main offense that you dueled for was using impertinent language. So, you know, your horse loses, the other guy you know, gloats, you say something offensive, and then bang, you're in a duel. It's just weird. And yet it was so common that it was just a kind of an expected uh, side event at something like a horse race. The contrast between the, the fine details of etiquette um, that they're trying to rectify and the extreme amount of violence they're willing to use uh, in order to rectify that is 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 just bizarre. It's it's bizarre to consider shooting somebody uh, the high point of gentlemanly manners. Jackson uh, may have fought a hundred duels. They said that he had so many lead balls in him from dueling that he rattled when he walked. And his strategy was generally to let the other guy shoot first and then patiently aim to inflict as much damage as possible. So he was considered to be a kind of a dirty duelist, I guess. In the Dickinson duel, he followed his program. He let him shoot first. Dickinson hit Jackson in the chest near his heart. Uh, he would carry the ball with him for the rest of his life. He had others. Um, it was too close to his heart for them to get it out. They were worried that they'd kill him. So he jammed his hand over the bullet wound to staunch the flow of blood, took aim, shot him. Some of the witnesses claimed that Jackson's pistol misfired. You're not allowed to shoot or recock or reload if your pistol misfires, but he shot again. And now the unarmed Dickinson standing there was basically executed by Andrew Jackson. I'm laughing because it's kind of just, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. Uh, this was considered to be a socially beneficial thing and it was very difficult to stamp out. There's a great book on this by a guy named Bertram Wyatt Brown called Southern Honor that, uh, you know, I think that it overly romanticizes the, um, the corrective function of the duel in Southern life. But it is kind of interesting because if it's performed properly, if everyone follows the code, um, then it can restore the social position of both people, no matter what the offense. So it's designed to ha have a restorative justice function, despite its um, barbarity. 
it's not incidental that almost everyone I've mentioned so far, or I guess everyone I've mentioned so far who actually shot a duel, Dickinson, Jackson, Burr, Hamilton, were all lawyers. And Dickinson and Jackson were lawyers in Kentucky where uh, dueling, the culture of dueling, proved very difficult to root out of the legal profession and of those uh, lawyers who went on to hold public office. I had a friend from Kentucky and his father and sister both had stories about how they had to uh, sign a sworn affidavit that they had never participated in a duel as a primary or a second before they were admitted to the Kentucky bar. And in Kentucky and in, in other places in the South, it's very common to have dueling grounds. Um, they look like a bocce ball pit, sort of. They're set up so that you can duel. They were often outside the courthouse, as they are in uh, famous dueling grounds in Franklin, Kentucky. But uh, that became inconvenient when dueling became uh, illegal, I guess, or less legal. In order to be more convenient, um, the Tennessee and Kentucky lawyers set up a, a, a dueling ground between the two states that would make for a, a nice place to shoot at each other. That place is now Kentucky Downs Raceway. It was called dueling grounds uh, until the 2000s or late 90s or something like that. Um, and it's just on Highway 65 between Louisville and Nashville. I guess it's closer to Nashville, but they they notched the Kentucky border around it um, because uh, they were starting to put social pressure on the Tennessee lawyers to stop dueling, and they couldn't hold public office or be admitted to the bar if they dueled. Um, but on the other hand, uh, they couldn't be punished if they were dueling out of state, so they'd meet over there on the Kentucky side to shoot at each other. Eventually, as I mentioned, Kentucky also required affidavits um, stating that you'd never participated in a duel in order to be admitted to the bar. You know, as part of their effort to uh, stamp out this ongoing culture of shitting at each other. One of the reasons that dueling was so uh, prevalent too is that there was an assumption that duels could only take place between equals. So if you challenged your social superior to a duel and he accepted, it's usually he. There were some famous duels between women, by the way, which is... Uh, you know, women mostly had more sense than that. Um, but if the challenge is accepted, then that's an assumption of social equality. And it was hard to not accept the challenge, even from your social inferior, because you would lose caste by being seen as a coward. And so it became, uh, you know, it incentivized the dueling. The social arrangement of dueling incentivized it because you could rise socially through it, and Andrew Jackson surely did. And so did Alexander Hamilton, by the way. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, in Hamilton, we're supposed to root for him because he comes from fairly humble beginnings, and through um, his patriotic zeal and ambition and hard work, he rises um, socially, but he also rises socially because he participated as a second in 12 duels. Even though he only fought one duel as a principal combatant, he uh, received the social benefit of having dueling 12 times, and they were really important duels uh, in his social world. Though seconds also um, occasionally shot at each other, 
Hamilton didn't. Uh, there was, you know, so there was some risk in getting shot yourself. But in a way, being the second in a duel was ideal because you could rise socially. You could you could meet on the field of honor, and yet not get shot at. One of the parts of the code duella. Rule number 14, it says seconds must be of equal rank in society with the principles they attend inasmuch as the second may either choose or chance to become a principal and equality is indispensable. So again, if you are at the duel, if you're seen at the duel, you're seen as the social equal of everyone who participates in that. And if you're on your way up in life, you can get an immediate boost from participating in the duel. And it was quite clear that nobody understood this dynamic better than our first populist president of the United States, Andrew Jackson. He rode that psychotic killer vibe all the way into the White House. You know, I, I talked a little bit about these themes in my podcast on the Westerns, you know, the, the, the supposed gunfight in the Western, which was really just murder mostly, was seen as a perversion of the dueling culture of the South, uh, you know, more high-powered weapons, repeating weapons, and also, um, you know, a sort of radical stripping away of social expectations so that people weren't really trying to um, maintain social position or rise socially through dueling. They were just sort of, uh, you know, trying to earn a reputation as somebody you didn't cross. And, uh, you know, a murder would be just as effective in that as a, uh, you know, as a, an honorably discharged duty at the dueling grounds. Um, and so I, I think that that culture of, of honor turns into a culture of, of intimidation or something like that. I'm not defending the duel in this either. I'm just suggesting that in a way, the kind of Western violence we see as a kind of natural outcome of that in both, uh, you know, in both setups, our popular conception of this situation is that the violence somehow fixed things or made it better or restored things. You watch any cop movies anymore? I mean, they're still popular and there's just this assumption that the only way to really deal with the bad guy is to kill him. And we might not like to admit it, but there's an assumption built into there that the last man standing is somehow the best. Which is interesting. It totally discounts the idea of Andrew Jackson, who's just going to let you shoot first, and then he's going to murder you after your gun's empty. You know, I've tried to maintain the podcast as a, as a source of positivity. I've tried to spread some... Uh, some of my experience do the kind of things that I do in class, maybe make available to some of my listeners some texts or, you know, uh, you know, paintings or films or whatever that I think they might enjoy. And that's mostly the work I want to do here. But that same work also always has me exploring, uh, you know, the, the American mythos and the stories that make us who we are. And when... Uh, a guy in Georgia kills a bunch of people and the police say, well, he must have been having a bad day. You got to ask yourself, how did we get there? During this pandemic, we've seen a fairly shocking level of violence perpetrated by white men 
And we've seen an amazing amount of stretching to explain, rationalize, and justify that by people who are educated and ought to know better. You'd be forgiven for uh, coming to the conclusion that not only do we fail to condemn this violence, but somehow we think it's good.